Ben said last week that the Bible begins and ends with marriage. And I'm going to assume that most of you, if not all, want to be married someday. But but why? Why do we want to be married? What about marriage is important to us? Why does our culture make it such a big deal? Now think about Thanksgiving dinners. People come up to you and say, are you dating anyone? Uh, when are you going to date someone? Are you getting married yet? <laughs> um, they want you to get married, but why? Why is it so attractive? Uh, marriage is attractive because um, dating is the worst. <laughs> um, dating makes relationships a place where you want and you're trying for intimacy. But there are two giant exit signs over your heads. There's the possibility of people leaving. Um, There's the absence of commitment. And so, why do we get ourselves into dating relationships that last for five years? Um, Why is there a stereotype about guys, and probably rightfully so, that they don't want to commit? Uh, I can't tell you how many engagement posts recently I've seen on Facebook, and the first word of the caption is, finally. (laughs) Uh, I saw one last week, it was funny, but I'm I'm glad my wife didn't put finally on my engagement post, although maybe she should have. But let's face it, um, we have commitment issues. And part of us likes to stay in the dating relationship because we have commitment issues. And that's why marriage is important. That's why it's important because marriage makes makes it so that you have to commit your allegiance to someone, to one person. And it makes leaving hard. And that's what's important. It's relieving because it means that someone has to shut the door to all other lovers and they say, I'm, my allegiance is to you. And um, you, don't have to, you don't have to put your best foot forward because you know that they love you. You don't have to try to convince them. Um, they've, they've pledged to you their allegiance. They've pledged to you to be committed to you. And by committing to you, they've said, you're worthy no matter what. It's saying, I love you, and so I'm committed to you. Even if things go wrong, I'm committed to you no matter what happens. Even even to the point of death, I'll die for you because I love you, because I'm committed to you. So why is marriage so important in the grand scheme of the Bible? Why does the Bible begin and end with marriage? It's God's declaration of his allegiance to us. And this is what that passage is about. Uh, This passage says that the reason marriage is so important to us is because of three things. Um... Marriage focuses our allegiance to um, marriage uh, displays our clothes or our beauty. Um, and three, marriage elevates our, mi- our mission. So um, if you'll, you'll stand, we'll read the text. After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. 
Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down, John, I, John, fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you will speak through me. Um, let them be your words and not my words. Um, let Give people ears to hear what you have to say in these words. Um, that not only were meant for the people um, that this was written for originally, but they're meant for them. Um, they're meant for them. Let, it, let them sink into their hearts, Lord. And let them know that you love them and you've pledged your allegiance to them. That they can die and they can truly live. And they have a purpose. I pray that you'd speak to them in this way, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, yeah, so what does marriage to Christ accomplish for us? First, marriage with Christ focuses our allegiance. Getting married to Mary Sue focused all of my affection and my desire on her. I was no longer dating her, thank goodness. <laughs> I didn't have to say goodbye. I didn't have to drive 20 miles just to pick her up. Instead of being far away from her, I was close to her, intimate, near. And that, and that point, at, at that point, I was hers and she was mine. I publicly declared that whatever happened in this life, I would never leave her. I would always be committed to her no matter what she was going through. Marriage is a million times better than dating because it focuses our allegiance. And the same is true with Jesus, but a hundredfold, a hundred times greater. He sacrificed the possibility of giving himself to any other lover. And he said, Beloved, you are mine. There's a time for all of us where we date, quote, Jesus. Do I really want to belong to him forever? Do I really want to devote myself to him? Will he satisfy me? Will he provide for me? But dating never really satisfies. And I think that sometimes we think we're in a meaningful relationship with Jesus. But we are really just dating him. We leave the door cracked open for other lovers. We say, I like Jesus. He's cool. But then we turn around and give our affections to so many other things in our life. The truth is that we are made to give all our allegiance to Jesus. Look at the first verse. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor belong to our God. And the text goes on. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Why? It's because Jesus doesn't keep um, his options open. He's committed to you, no matter what. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't your commitment to God. It's His commitment to you. The marriage has come and it's time for us to stop playing around with the little gods that we set up around us. We're made to worship Jesus. 
and he's provided a feast for us and in celebration of the fact that he alone can satisfy our want and need for intimacy. And hear me, we can't keep dating Jesus. Only being married to Jesus satisfies our need to know and be known, and be known deeply in a real way, deeper than anything we've ever experienced. They say you never really know someone until you're married. (laughs) And I think that was true for Mary Sue and me. Uh, There were things that, um, in my life, that I didn't show her because I was terrified of how she'd respond. And we put our best foot forward in marriage where we... It's not secure. Why do you feel insecure? Because dating isn't secure. Marriage is secure. And so there are a lot of things that you don't know about a person before you're married. And that was true for Mary Sue, too. There were things that I didn't know um, that, that um, she didn't show me while we were dating. But that's the picture here. It's the opposite picture. It's, it's that Jesus is so committed to you that even though he knows every single sin, the deep sins, the sins that no one else knows about you, he loves you so much that his allegiance belongs to you for all of eternity. And he's pledged that. What that means is that he deserves all our affection, all our love, all our desire. All throughout Revelation, John uses the imagery of a prostitute um, to symbolize those who are opposed to God. But we can say it's to symbolize those who are dating Jesus. They leave the door open for other lovers at all times. And they're afraid of commitment. Why are we afraid of commitment? It's because we like the possibility of other lovers. We're so terrified of being rejected that instead of committing to a deeper relationship, we commit to several shallow ones. If no one really knows me, then no one will really reject me. The problem is that we are desperate for the kind of need, the kind of deep, intimate love that Jesus gives us. We're desperate to be known. And the only place that that can happen is marriage. Where our allegiance is focused on the only one who satisfies our deepest longings. So you have to ask yourself, are you paying lip service to Jesus while at the same time giving your affection to greed or sex or selfish ambition or pride? What in your, what in your life do you devote your allegiance to above Jesus? Where your allegiance is, your affections will follow. In the Mumford and Sons songs, uh, in the Mumford and Sons song, "Awake My Soul," they sing, "Where you invest your love, you will invest your life." Do you know that Jesus invested His love, invested His love in you by giving up His life, so that you would be deeply loved, so that your needs would be met? That's sacrifice, and that's what that's what marriage is about. It's Him giving His life for you because He loves you. Where your allegiance is, your, fe- your affection follows. This passage is saying that you're made to worship. And you can't get away from worshiping something. But the only thing worthy of your allegiance, like I said, is Jesus Christ. The Lamb who is slain for your sins. God incarnate, your bridegroom. Do you, believe, do you believe that's true? Do you live like that's true? Do you live like you believe that someone is totally pledged to you and there's nothing you have to fear because he's given himself up for you and he's paid for everything, all your debts, everything that you have? Do you live like that? 
He's publicly promised that He will never leave you or forsake you. And so we come to this passage seeing these people bowing before God, being moved because all their allegiance is to Him. And you have to ask yourself, have you ever been so moved? Have your allegiances ever been so focused that the desire of your heart is to fall down and call out, Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to my God. Hallelujah. I think romantically and emotionally, I'm so glad that in marriage I had to give my allegiance to Mary Sue. It's relieving in a way. I don't have to worry about all those things. I know she loves me. Um, And I know I love her. But spiritually, it's the same way. It's time to stop fooling around with all the other spiritual suitors and decide and devote all of your worship and affection to Jesus Christ. Why? Because He's already committed to you. Doing that opens the door for you to be truly known and truly loved. So, what does being married to Jesus accomplish? Well, first, it it focuses our allegiance. We know that we're loved so deeply by Jesus that we can focus our allegiance on Him. But second, um, yeah, second, it displays our clothing or displays our beauty is a better better way of saying that. Um, Think about the garden. Think about in the garden. Adam and Eve sin. They feel their shame and their nakedness for the first time ever. And they, they hide. They cover. And they, uh, they go and make clothing out of, the, out of fig leaves for themselves. And ever since then, man has been hiding and covering. Running away from relationship because they're guilty of sin. But think about that. Making clothes out of fig leaves. Can you imagine how stupid that is? <laughs> what a terrible, prickly, ugly thing to wear. Um, so ugly. Um, but that's, that's the picture of what we do when we try to cover ourselves. When we're not covered with what Jesus is giving to us. That's what happens when we are trying to prove to God that we're good. As if we're still dating Him. We're trying to prove ourselves. But that's not true. He's clothed us. I heard a story about a girl uh, one time who um, was about to be married and she went to her bachelorette party and got super intoxicated and ended up having sex with a guy that she doesn't even remember. And when the shame set in, um, she couldn't bear to tell her husband. And so they ended up getting married, um, but she hid it for about two weeks until she couldn't bear the shame. And she went up and told her husband... And he sat there and he listened to her, and then he left for about an hour. And all she could do was weep. And then he came back and he had a beautiful white dress for her, and he gave it to her and said, This is how I see you. And that's exactly what Christ did for us. He made us beautiful, He gave us the ability to be beautiful, righteous, acceptable. And that's what's on display for the whole world to see. We were naked and He clothed us. But look at verse 8. It tells us that the clothing that the bride wears is the righteous deeds of the saints. First, we have to acknowledge how weird the wording is. So look at it. I grant you to clothe yourself. So you have two ideas there. 
uh, think of it this way, um, the first part. Let's say you get a grant to pay for your college. Someone gave you that money, so it's a gift. Um, so in other words, the verse is saying the church is gifted with that ability to be righteous. Um, above everything else, this is what's displayed, displayed in the bride. That's her wedding dress, is her righteous deeds. But doesn't it seem like an oxymoron? It was granted her to clothe herself. We know that uh, what the clothes symbolize. So in other words, it was granted that we would be righteous, but at the same time we clothe ourselves in righteousness. And so that seems like to be that seems like competing ideas. Um, did God give us our righteousness? Or are we righteous in ourselves? And so I, I think we should look at other. This theme runs through Scripture. I think we should look at some other verses. So yeah, I think it will give us some clarity. So First um, John one says, if we say we have fellow, uh, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light in righteousness. Um, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. An interesting, interesting thing about that is it says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our unrighteousness, but at the same time it holds us responsible for walking in the light. Philippians 2 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Like, okay, okay, cool. I'm, I'm responsible for working it out. But then it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So again, we have this contra- contradicting idea. Um, it emphasizes um, that we're supposed to work out our salvation, but it says God's the one who works in us. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Sanctify just means make make holy, make her holy. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle. This is is the bride, uh, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So that emphasizes Christ's work and doesn't really talk about our responsibility. So what do we make of this idea? What's this getting at? There's a dual emphasis um, for sanctification. Um, and, and like I said, sanctification is just the process by which we're made holy or good or righteous. It means that we're actively defeating sin and becoming more righteous. This passage is saying that God is with us in making us better, but at the same time we ourselves have been given the responsibility and the power to change. And that's precisely because of Christ's allegiance to us. And that makes us able to be displayed beautiful like a bride. We have been gifted with a beautiful dress. The dress reflects primarily the work of Jesus Christ in us. And then flowing from that love, our beautiful obedience. We're lovely because He loves us. We're displayed with beautiful clothing because Jesus made us pure. And it's, it's different than justification. And justification is when we're declared righteous or declared holy um, or set apart as a bride. Um, but you and I know we're not actually righteous. We still sin. Um, Jesus has covered us from the wrath of God. But sanctification is where you actually are made righteous. 
And God's word tells us that we are in some part responsible for that sanctification. We were granted or gifted this opportunity, which means that Jesus is the sole reason we are sanctified. But we clothe ourselves, which means that it's our responsibility. So that's the technical stuff, sanctification, justification, whatever. What does that mean for us? Here's what it means. If you have sex with someone outside of wedlock, but you believe that Christ died for your sins, then he saved you from that ultimate penalty. That's justification. You've been loved greatly at that point. But remember, those who are loved much are called to love much. Those who have been given a grant for school are expected to use it. What does Jesus say to us? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You are responsible to run from that sin. And you've been given the power to do it. Run from it. In fact, Jesus saved you so that you'd be able to run from the cycle of sin that keeps you from committing to him. If you keep going back to porn for fulfillment, it's been granted to you to run from that. Run from it. What this is saying is that Jesus saved you not just to get you out of hell, but to truly change your life. Change your life in a way that you turn away from sin and live a truly good life. He saved you to display your righteousness to the whole world. Like a bride being displayed at a wedding. Everyone looks at her. She's, the, she's beautiful. That's what he's displaying you as. Do you long for that? Do you want that? Because God's granted it to you. Put on the clothes that make you beautiful. Put on obedience. We should be obedient to Jesus because that's what's beautiful. But what does that look like? What does obedience look like? It looks like biting your tongue when you're tempted to respond in anger at your friends that are annoying you. And then looking at them long enough to love them still. It means confronting people about hard and difficult things because you love them more than you want things to be easy. It means going to great risk for the gospel of Christ because the king of the universe has focused his allegiance on your growth. He's granted it to you. It means drinking responsibly and enjoying what God's made instead of trying to escape the life you live through alcohol. It means controlling your passions in the heat of the moment when no one's watching and you're alone with a person instead of being like an animal that's driven only by his desire. We long for marriage because we want to know someone deeply and be known. That's what worship and our our deepest affections are for. But we also long for marriage because it gives us purpose. This passage is saying that God saved us for the purpose of sanctifying us, for the purpose of defeating our sin, for the ultimate purpose of His love being displayed in us for all of eternity, forever. And he's, He's granted it to you. Take hold of that. That's your purpose, to be loved, to share that love, and to be righteous. Jesus is with you every step of the way. But don't take that lightly. Remember he said, make sure your salvation is true with fear and trembling. Sin is hard. Remember that what Ben preached a few weeks ago about the devil. He's sly and he's cunning and he's deceptive and he's convincing. Running from sin is difficult. Especially the habitual sins that we keep running back to. 
Think about that. Think about that one sin that in your heart of hearts you don't think you can defeat. You're enslaved to it. And then look at this verse. And look at what what God's saying through John in this verse. You can defeat it. He's given it to you. He's given you the power to defeat it. You don't have to run from people because of shame, cover your sin, and hide anymore. God's given you the ability to clothe yourself in righteousness. You were naked, but He has clothed you in love. He's clothed you in goodness. He's made you bright and pure and lovely. And He's putting that on display to the world. You're not dating God. He's married you. Run from your sin. That's your purpose. It's been granted you to do it. Go and sin no more. What does being married to Jesus accomplish? It focuses our allegiance on Him. It centers us on Him. It displays our clothes or our beauty. But thirdly, it elevates our our mission. Look at verse 9 and 10. Then I fell down at the angel's feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you, and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, um, I was meeting with Ben, talking about this, and I was like, I don't understand this part. Why is this here? We're talking about marriage, and then John throws in, Oh, I worshipped an angel. (laughs) It doesn't make sense. It's out of place to me. But, Imagine this. You're at a wedding. You're at your wedding. You've waited for this day for a long time. You go through all your preparations. But what you're really looking forward to is seeing um, your significant other for the first time in the ceremony. And none of that like pre-picture stuff. Let's just imagine you don't do that. Um, yeah, you're looking forward to that moment where you see, where you see him or her coming down the aisle. And then imagine she starts walking down the aisle, or you're walking down the aisle, you're looking up at him, and instead you look at the guy who's officiating your wedding. And he starts to say the vows, and he says, repeat after me. And instead of looking at the person you're marrying, you look at him and repeat your vows to him. That's what John did. He was so excited about what was happening around him that he uh, was looking at the wrong person. (laughs) The angel essentially says, what are you doing? Can't you see that I'm wearing the same thing as you? The wedding is not about me, it's about Jesus. Look at Jesus. Worship Him. It is Jesus who deserves all of our worship and allegiance and affection. And the angel's pointing that out. But he's also making another point. Marriage elevates our mission. The last phrase in verse 10 is important. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's another one that I was like, Ben, I don't understand this. Um, after looking at it for a while and, and talking with Ben about it. Um, what is prophecy? Prophecy has never simply been talking about the future. Prophecy is more than that. It's God's word being proclaimed. That's what prophecy is. Sometimes it involves future things, but it is always spoken that we have instruction to live now. That's been the theme through all of Revelation. It's a heavenly perspective, not so we can contemplate atomic bombs and tidal waves and whatever. It's so that we can learn how to live now in struggles and in temptation and in all of the stuff we go through in life. And that's what prophecy is. When Ben preaches, it's prophecy. When you encourage your friend with the truth, it's prophecy. When Brittany speaks at the girls' retreat this weekend, it's prophecy. She's proclaiming the Word of God. 
What the angel is saying is that we are all prophets. We're all on the same level as the angels. We are messengers of God proclaiming his truth to the world. So how does marriage elevate our mission? Prophecy only makes sense if Jesus really lived, died, and rose again. All truth is centered on Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When I got married to Mary Sue, my life immediately meant more. I had more responsibility and meaning than I had ever had in my life. My schedule changed drastically. I uh, couldn't eat whenever I wanted to anymore. I had to hold to the times where we had to eat together. And I couldn't skip breakfast anymore. Uh, and I get to demonstrate my love to her in ways that I know she knows. I get to know her more deeply, and the more deeply I know her, the more I can demonstrate my love for her. Marriage to Jesus is the same. The testimony of Jesus makes living life meaningful. Our sins, what damns us to hell, are paid for by His blood. We have the ability to actually not mess everything up. (laughs) Because He rose from the dead. If Jesus didn't defeat death and rise from the grave, then the truth is meaningless. Our marriage to Him is meaningless. Christianity is meaningless. But He did rise from the grave. We celebrated it on Sunday. He's risen. So we have a mission as prophets, as proclaimers of the truth of God. Jesus is what we're all about and what we should be all about because we're married to Him. Our marriage to Him elevates our mission. So why does God choose to end all history with an everlasting feast, a marriage feast? Have you ever been to a wedding without food? It's the worst. (laughs) Marriage with Christ is something to be celebrated continually with food. Isaiah 25, 6 says, The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. We know that suppers in the Bible symbolize Christ's body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. Which means when we're connected to Jesus through marriage, we're proclaiming his love for us forever. He makes us good. We're not dating him anymore. So why are we still trying to prove ourselves to him? Why do we act like he might leave us? Why do we run from him? He's here to stay. When we were hungry, he fed us with an everlasting feast. When we were thirsty, he gave us living water. When we were naked and ashamed, he clothed us in beauty. When we were lonely, he gave us himself. Give Christ all your allegiance so that you can be known and loved deeply. Obey his commandments because he's given you the power and the will to do it so that you will be displayed as beautiful as you become more like him. Proclaim the truth about him because he's the spirit of all truth and that makes life meaningful. He's actively pursuing you. He gave himself up for you. Turn to him and you will be more loved than you could ever imagine. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, bringing people here. Um, We thank you for your word and its truth and the meaning it brings to our lives. We pray that these words wouldn't wouldn't be um, heard and then forgotten. We pray that they um, 
would be applied to our lives and it would change us, change us radically to love others and display that, that truth to other people, Lord. I pray that, that that's what you would make us because we're married to you, because you've pledged your allegiance to us. I pray that you would do this in our lives and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.